So back in 2020, I, Steven Schinder, started a podcast called Delayed Replay, recapping and reviewing the latest films. However, it got broadcast into an alternate universe, where those films got delayed and came out differently from how I was describing them. Because of how me and my guests had been describing the films, people in that other universe were saying that this was all an improvised comedy podcast, which, listening back, I can totally get why they believed that. A lot of weird stuff happened in that first year, and I even met my other self from that other universe, who pops in from time to time, for better or worse. And now, in the year 2023, this podcast continues, still recapping and reviewing movies and sometimes some other things that got delayed or cancelled in that other universe. New episode Saturdays, every other week, unless I decide otherwise for some special reason, or whatever. You are listening to Delayed Replay, Season 4. Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we recap and review movies that got delayed in that other universe but came out on time in our universe and often come out differently. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Schinder, and joining me once again, uh, if you heard the Batgirl episode a couple months back, you may recognize her. It is Camille. How's it going? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's funny. We're once again talking about a comic book movie that I guess people could say is kind of bat-related in a way, you know? Um, well, well, you know, like bat, lore, mythology, old. Yeah. <laughs> so the one we're talking about this time is Blade, the MCU film. Uh, so... I guess we can go ahead and start with, um, so I've seen the Blade movies and I know that there's like an anime and a live action show, which I haven't watched either of those, but I've watched the New Line movies and played as Blade a little bit in Marvel Ultimate Alliance, but yes. this, is, this is basically your first Blade experience, am I correct? That is 100% correct. Um, the the only time I've been introduced to Blade was the cameo in Eternals, uh, where it's just like his voice and like one of like the that like random British. Dude. Both the British guys in Eternals like looked the same. I could not <laughs> tell them apart. I don't remember their names, even though they're both like Game of Thrones dudes or whatever. Um, not not the great the greatest intro for a, a very great character. Yeah, that voice cameo is very easy to forget. Very in interesting, like the way that they do that, you know, and they'll weave in a Marvel character through like a very brief cameo and some people know who it is right away or they might not know and then find out later and it's like, oh, that was him. Oh, okay. Yeah, they got Mahershala Ali, and this version in our universe came out on his birthday, February 16th, which was cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the best present, being a Marvel superhero. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's better than, um, like, I enjoyed the Star Trek Picard season three premiere, which came out that same day, but... It, it was also LeVar Burton's birthday, but the episode didn't have LeVar Burton in it, so that was 
a little bit disappointing, even though I enjoyed the episode. Um, but you know, um, so what have been your experiences with Marvel in general? Like, how'd you get into Marvel? Like when and how did that happen? And what's been your overall feel, like your overall thoughts of that whole multiverse, I guess? Yeah. So, um, like most people our age, um, I got into Marvel because of the movies. Like, I definitely remember watching the first Iron Man. I remember watching the first Avengers in theaters. I think people younger than us who kind of grew up, like, post-Avengers don't realize how big of a gamble it was. It was a huge risk combining all those properties together. And and they had tried to do something similar to that um, other companies before, and it hadn't worked out in the past. So the fact that Avengers did pay off just completely changed the the game for everyone. I know people are, are tired of it now, but it was a huge shift. Yeah, like people often forget how some of those characters were considered like B-list characters at best. Yeah. And like Spider-Man, you know, the Tobey Maguire ones were like the most popular thing. But then but, you, you of do... Course. Wait, no, the Toby, the Toby Maguire Spider-Man movies were 100% my first Marvel movies. Oh, you're totally right. <laughs> right, so yeah. Good. Yeah, so those Toby movies were like a nice gateway, especially because like they could also appeal to the kids in addition to the adults, whereas before that you had, well, the first Blade movie um, came out in 1998, and that was like R-rated very much for adults. <laughs> So like not everyone could watch it, but it was considered like something that saved comic book movies a year after like DC put out Batman and Robin and also Steel, which I'd argue is worse than Batman and Robin because it's just so boring. Um, And then you get X-Men, which is not as much for kids, but it's a bit more accessible, even though it has like some slightly more like heady themes but yeah spider-man was like the for everyone type thing and then that some of that influenced like mcu phase one and beyond in some ways i'm sure yeah i totally forgot about forgot about x-men too because i don't like x-men as much <laughs> i'm no, gonna get crucified in the comments um but no yeah overall... that's that's fair i mean marvel has like so many properties and not everything's gonna be for everyone you know that is really true. Overall, I like DC uh, characters more. Um, I'm more of a DC fan, but I feel like Marvel does a much better job with movies and telling the properties and stories. So I've definitely gotten uh, more into Marvel. I've, uh, I really love all the Runaway comics, uh, especially like the the Rainbow Rowell uh, mm. later volumes. Really good. I mean. The Hawkeye, the Matt Fraction Hawkeye series is, of course, one of the best comic runs in the history of comics. It's so good. What'd you think of the Hawkeye TV show compared to that run? I'm curious. Like, it was good, but it's like, the problem is the problem that they couldn't escape, which is Jeremy Renner. It's the... The, the the comic relies so heavily on Hawkeye being just kind of like this loser and Jeremy <laughs> Renner's just kind of this guy he doesn't have the like the lovability and charm of uh Clint in the the Hawkeye series so 
I feel like Haley Steinfeld really, really carried that series, but yeah, I enjoyed it. She did, yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed especially the first arc of like the original run of Runaways. I, I have yet to get to the Rainbow Rowell stuff, but I've heard great things about it. Um, I've read one of Rainbow Rowell's books. I think it's called Fangirl, if I remember correctly, and it was pretty good. So I'm curious to see like what she did with those characters. Um, yeah it's interesting because i haven't read her books but i think her like her book background came in well for runaways because they've never been a really like in row well because runaways have always been more of a i mean they're like always like oh yeah we gotta stop our parents and stuff but they've, they've always they're not there to, they're not like superheroes they're not there to save the world there's a lot of teen uh interconnected dynamics and teen drama and stuff so i think she did a really good job of you know like really unpacking all of the the trauma that they've gone through and all of the the team dynamics it just it's a it's really a good run uh, i'll have to check that out once i get marvel unlimited again um because i had it for a year and i mainly used it to read through the strigzinski run of amazing spider-man and like some other things here and there like i read some of the tomb of dracula comics which are where blade was introduced and it was kind of weird because he kind of felt like just some some guy like some side character there before they really knew what to do with him and revealed like his backstory and all that um but what's cool is that in this movie they kind of incorporate some elements of that you know they have like some side characters like frank drake who's a descendant of dracula and rachel van helsing who obviously is a descendant of van helsing and they have dracula himself as a villain in this film so yeah what do you think of that strategy of pulling in like these big public domain names like for this movie yeah it's really cool i didn't realize they were also in the comics too i thought they were were just you know they were just pulling from like you said public domain because yeah might as well like winnie the pooh blood and honey type thing (laughs) yeah oh man um but i i thought it was really cool that they they brought in i mean well at first i was like oh no of course but it was it was kind of nice because it's like if you're going to have vampires be real might as like why not have dracula why not have van helsing like we're we're here for a a a pg-13 blade like let's let's have some fun there's gonna be like you know he he has like a such a cool design he has this sword he's here to fight vampires like let's have fun fighting vampires yeah and i know in the lead up to this people were hoping that this would be r-rated but for the pg-13 rating that it got i think they came like really close to you know it was kind of surprising what they got away with in this you know they would always cut away like at just the right moment but you would still see like it still felt like somewhat visceral in certain moments you know yeah, I definitely agree. Sometimes not showing things is is more powerful and intense than showing things. Yeah. And so this movie, it kind of begins with like giving us a rundown of Blade's backstory. You know, there's this like voiceover where he's narrating how like 
his mom was pregnant with him and then the doctor who turned out to be a vampire a deacon frost you know he <laughs> infected her and basically he became like half vampire half human you know a day walker and i liked how it was in black and white it felt very sort you know you know it had like that universal monster movie aesthetic which was fitting because like you have this montage where he's like fighting alongside like characters from werewolf by night you know werewolf by night and man thing and the time period for that show is still kind of or i say show because it was on disney plus but for that special is still kind of ambiguous because you know blade lives for a long time but yeah what would you think of this intro that sort of drops us into the middle of it all yeah i thought it was really cool i mean like very comic booky like was was definitely laughing a bit while i was watching but you know like <laughs> that's what we're here for you know we're, we're here for like the the like ridiculous backstory um and then like, the black and white kind of reminded me of one of my uh favorite uh, vampire movies which is uh, a girl walks home alone at night so i definitely appreciate the the vibes there okay i haven't seen that one actually Ooh, it's very good it's it's very cool it's it's kind of art housey uh it's like all black and white um and it's about this uh, iranian girl who's a vampire and she like hunts down men she's like rides around on the skateboard it's it's very <laughs> cool yeah while we're on that topic what are some of your other like favorite vampire stories your know, shows films etc yeah definitely um so usually uh this was like a little different for me because i usually prefer vampires to be more of a like a like a quiet character focused like drama romance like uh, I usually um, like let the right one in I don't know if you've heard it uh, I think it's a like a Swedish uh, Scandinavian yeah I've been meaning to watch that and it has like an American remake right with a similar yes. title yes I've watched both they're both good they're both okay. good uh, Lost Boys, which is neither of those two, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a very fun movie. Yeah, the original is a classic. Yeah, wait, did they remake it? No, but there were two straight-to-video sequels. Um, I've seen the f the second movie, and I bear I only remember like how it ended. It was pretty forgettable. I don't even remember if I watched the third Lost Boys movie, but yeah, the first Lost Boys was pretty good. I can't believe they made sequels. There's probably a reason I haven't seen <laughs> um, And then uh, I really love the original uh, novel, Carmilla. Um, and then I kept getting emails. I, I got like the, the Dracula novel like sent as emails uh, in my inbox because it's uh, epistolary. Uh, so you can read it as like bite-sized chunks. Oh, but... yeah. I... I can't remember if you told me about this or if another friend told me about this, but it's kind of like you get the letters in, in the novel in chronological order or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so basically, like, the day it was sent during the novel is, like, the day you get it, which is cool. Nice. But I did not keep up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read an annotated edition of Dracula back in, like... I want to say 2012, it was like during 11th grade or something. Um, 
and I've enjoyed some of the I've seen a few adaptations I I liked the Gary Oldman one and I, I really love Nosferatu which is a silent movie like ripoff of Dracula um, I've never it, seen it yeah it's, uh, it's such a Spongebob reference <laughs> yeah that, that's probably what most people of our generation know that as but yeah Nosferatu is such a vibe it's so good Mm-hmm. Um, and other vampire things I like, I, I love the I Am Legend novel, like, it's just so well written and suspenseful. I, I probably read it Ooh. around the same time I read Dracula, and it's just like one of my top novels that I've ever read of all time. Oh, um, that's really cool. I'll have to add it to my list. Yeah, so it, it's a must read. I'm okay, so I'm curious now. It, it seems like we've like read like different vampire types and so the thing I'm thinking about is um one of my writing classes in college uh was about how horror is always about some sort of fear or or some sort of repressed thing and what I really like about vampires and the way I like to see vampires used is like repressed like desire and relationships and forbidden relationships and being being other um so i'm curious uh, for the dracula and other vampire uh, media you've consumed what what, what's your like favorite metaphor um i don't know i just kind of like that they sink their teeth into people and drain blood that's (laughs) (laughs) no but these are both valid no but um i don't know it's kind of uh, so this might be like a different way of warping the whole like question but i kind of like when some media kind of take the dracula metaphor and put it on something else like making a serial killer like a fictional serial killer feel like they're a dracula type character you know like hannibal lecter like having that sort of presence where they're a monster but you're also like very there's something hypnotic about them yeah and but yeah like you say about the fears that vampires are used as metaphors for you know and i'm legend it's like a pandemic type thing um but for i think a lot of vampire fiction you could also see as like fear of intimacy you know like oh this person's going after my neck and i don't want that type thing um there's like just a lot of ways you can spin it and yeah there's like the otherness that you mentioned um but it could also be taken into like comedic genres like in what we do in the shadows Ah, like yeah love that movie i haven't seen the show yet yeah i started watching the show a little while ago it's pretty good so far from what i've seen but I i need to continue through it in this blade movie Mahershala Ali does such a great job, like having such a presence. hundred percent. Um, I went to a midnight screening, and the last time I saw people like excited was uh, No Way Home. But like when he when he stepped into the scene, the, the older version of him, um, after it, you know, it was a couple couple minutes of this vampire running around in in panic, and then terrorizing people, and then when he finally stepped onto the scene and you know killed the vampire everyone everyone cheered it was a very great crowd moment yeah 
and he feels very much like batman in this like in terms of like everyone just being scared of him like if if you do batman right you know i know that sounds kind of like pretentious but i think you no. know what i mean <laughs> no 100 percent. and i also feel like he really brought like um a, a weight and like heaviness to his character because he always comes at his characters with with so much intentions i just really felt kind of not to bring wolverine into this but <laughs> kind of how i felt when watching uh wolverine where it's hugh jackman really brought the like i have lived just so long and i just want to be i i have like all the weight of all my years on me yeah I feel like that was most effective for Wolverine and Logan. Like in some of the X-Men movies, you kind of forget about it and it's <laughs> sort of just there. But yeah, with this blade, you can definitely feel the years on him. And, you know, he's been hunting vampires for a while and is just like super tired of it, but knows that he can't stop. You know, he wants to avenge his mother and stop like all these like basically these monsters are lurking in the shadows but he also has to deal with he himself being perceived as a monster and uh, i think it's interesting the way that they handle that in this movie like it's a bit heavier than like a lot of other marvel studios movies you know yeah i was really surprised i was i kind of went in going like all right it's gonna be you know a vampire killing time and this is gonna be like gory fun and then he's like delivering shakespearean monologues with his eyes yeah it feels very gargoyles you know the tv show like sometimes there'd be like a shakespearean thing thrown in there so i was just <laughs> d digging the sort of gothic feel of this What what's kind of the downside of all this is that since it since it's part of like the the larger marvel universe and you know because of the collaborations with sony like they bring in like these other characters you know this movie came out smack dab in our universe it came out between craven the hunter and morbius 2 it's morbin time um so <laughs> so they like throw in the obligatory like craven trying to hunt a vampire and blade trying to hunt morbius and also vulture is there because they want to form the sinister six it's like this scene is just uh, like okay what'd you think when they like threw these characters in there and what'd you think of the actor that they got to recast morbius oh thank god they recasted morbius <laughs> i mean at least at least this was better um, i don't really know craven um but i thought his outfit design was cool um but definitely the sinister sticks vibe they were going for um not like it was okay which hurts to say because the morbius they got was dev patel and i love dev patel and i think like he did good but also why why did he agree to that <laughs> Yeah, like that was a recast I was not expecting, but no. Yeah. Um I do think it's at least a bit of an improvement in terms of actor choices, but it's 
<laughs> also like super like it's i don't know like it's kind of jarring like i don't know and they blame the multiverse on this like it's marvel's like go-to like excuse for like differences and everything but it's like look i know the movies are like comics now but you don't have to be completely like comics where you just like change like little things here and there and pretend we won't notice type thing you know retcons are you know the bread and butter of comics and when you have (laughs) this many movies i guess at a certain point you have to be like oh yeah no that's that doesn't matter anymore this matters yeah basically and yeah craven's outfit does look a little better yeah just this whole fight sequence like blade looks cool so there's that as a plus but it just felt like so unnecessary and like an obligatory thing to just connect to other things i feel like this keeps happening like this happened the last episode of wandavision um yeah yeah i feel like and i can't remember uh what other marvel movies at the moment but i just feel like at the end they're like all right we gotta put in this this uh, obligatory cgi fight scene it's like or i mean even in even in thor ragnarok i felt like doctor strange really didn't need to be in that movie you know what was he was he in Ragnarok or Love and Thunder? Ragnarok. Doctor Strange is in Ragnarok. Yeah, it's um, it's after, um, I think it's right before Thor and Loki find Odin. Like Doctor Strange gets them a portal to Odin, oh, but like he doesn't go with them, and so he's not right. with them on the adventure. It's yeah. Like, just the fact that you forgot, I guess, speaks to, like, how he really didn't need to be in that movie, right? really didn't need to. (laughs) It it does feel like, you know, with the release schedule, it's kind of getting overwhelming. I feel like the viewers have to, like, do homework and see everything now. And it's just, I don't know. Like, I hate that some people we're talking about superhero fatigue and I'm kind of feeling some of that. I kind of get what they're feeling now and I hate that some of them were right, but yeah, it's just the way that things are going now. It's, ugh, yeah, you know? I think it's because of the, the TV shows because some of them felt like maybe they were supposed to be movies instead, but then they're like, no, we don't, we don't want to make these movies. And then at a certain point, you're just like, I, there's so much content and I'm not, even if I don't consume it, I just, I'm like, uh, it's out there. There's another thing I gotta go watch. Yeah. I mean, some of the Marvel shows, I guess, condense into movies, but when I watch them, they feel like they were intended to be shows. With Star Wars, I kind of felt that with, I mean, we know that Obi-Wan Kenobi was intended as a movie at first and then. When it was going to be made into a miniseries, like, I was excited because it was, like, more screen time. But then I watched it and I was like, okay, you could have just left out the fourth and fifth episodes and it would have been a much better show. This very well could have just been a movie, you know? I haven't watched any of the Star Wars shows since the the, the previous season of The Mandalorian. And oh, okay. When we, I remember when we were like growing up, all I wanted was a live action Star Wars show. I thought that would be the coolest thing ever. I couldn't believe one didn't exist. So that just shows how tired I am. 
Yeah, I mean, it really was weird that it took us so long to get a live-action Star Wars show. Like, we didn't even get, like, a lower-budget one on some network TV channel. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> weird how long it took. You're, you're, you're implying, you're manifesting that in an alternate universe, there is a CW Star Wars show. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, it's yeah. ABC Freeform Star Wars show. Yeah, you got, like, some teenagers on Tatooine, and they're going through, like, some relationship issues. <laughs> Awful. I've always, this is super sidetracking, but I've always thought that Zane uh, Carrick from the Knights of the Old Republic comics would make a perfect Disney XD show. I don't know if Disney XD still exists, but whatever the channel is like, this is the channel for the boys, and if you're a girl, too, you can watch it, I guess. But, like... Star Wars show where it's this kid Padawan. He he is just constantly has like the worst luck, but then yeah. he yeah, uh, that would yeah, be so cool. I, I love Zane Carrick, but um when I read those Knights of the Old Republic comics, I imagine that he and the he and his um friends have like the voices of Seinfeld characters. <laughs> I think because I read that on the author John Jackson Miller's website. Um something to that effect like oh gosh yeah but speaking of zane things get kind of zany when <laughs> all these like people who've seen all these sightings of blades start going after him and they're it's basically like you know like the old frankenstein angry mob type thing you know they're trying to surround him in the woods and one of them even has a chainsaw so you got that whole thing going on so what'd you think of this whole sequence? It kind of it kind of broke my heart a little bit because all he wants to do is help protect them and but they only see him as the the monster and I thought the like the frustration and like fear well not even fear but just the the calculations uh that that he's doing of like okay how do how do I get out of this situation how do I get out of this situation about hurting innocent people how do I not hurt them too much uh, I thought it was a really good scene and made me kind of sit up and pay attention more than these uh, as we we're talking about these CGI fight scenes that we've been having yeah because the fight with the like the Spider-Man villain characters not gonna lie was kind of putting me to sleep even though <laughs> even though I had I had like my Pepsi with me, you know, to help keep me awake. But once all this was happening, I like perked up. It was like, whoa, like the suspense was back, you know? And they really go into how, you know, because of the internet, like you get all these people who start all these, like, to, like spread these fears. And so that's why like, all these fears of Blade, like, like you said, he's like trying to make sure he doesn't hurt them and, they chase him to this chain restaurant uh which just so happens to have chains in it you know it's this restaurant that goes with that whole theme but yeah like he's able to hide out there for a little bit like once the mob like think that they've lost him but this is when dracula comes in and you sort of like get a fight between them and they like use these chains against each other kind of like ghost rider in a way but what'd you think of the way dracula entered here uh i thought it was uh very cool the way like 
the the camera just like kind of kind of shifted to him um and i like like you said i really enjoyed the the fight scene with the chains i thought this was some of the most creative uh stunt work in a stunt choreography i've seen in a marvel movie recently um and i thought he was given like the gravitas that that a dracula deserves because sometimes it can be like you know a little, a little hokey if you if you have like a dracula coming in on on the scene um, I thought it was well done, and you could really tell that they had both kind of lived long lives, and these are natural enemies meeting and duking it out. It's that's it's something you go to go see a movie, popcorn movie like this for. Yeah, what'd you think of the uh, casting choice for Dracula? Um, I thought it was really good. Uh, I thought it was um a really interesting um inspired choice um I, I felt he really brought like kind of the the like I said the the many years of live experiences but I mean it was kind of like a it was because like obviously I feel like the actor really brought it but it also was kind of a bit of like you know an internet joke to you know have Keanu Reeves as Dracula like yeah. come on <laughs> Yeah, like, Keanu Reeves is an actor who's kind of hit and miss for me. Like, I love him in the John Wick movies, but he's probably just being himself in the John Wick movies. Whereas, <laughs> you know, in Con in the Constantine movie, I just did not see him as the character. Um, and it's like a Constantine sequel with him is not something I need. But <laughs> he He's me here! He saw me here. I was like, yeah, you know what? I can see in his eyes. He's lived a very long life. Like at first I was like, that that's Keanu, Keanu Reeves, but like he really like pulled me in. I was like, no, that's Dracula. Yeah, and it's funny because he played Jonathan Harker in the Dracula where Gary Oldman was Dracula. So it's kind of a role reversal type thing here. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was probably intentional on Marvel's part. Like I wouldn't be surprised and you know everyone just wants that keanu reeves money these days you know understandably so you got like this monologue about you know keanu reeves dracula is being like they're after you because they see you as an apex predator no matter how much good you do slaying monsters like us they'll always think you're the monster trying to get on top and they'll never accept you and you know this i just love when movies like this get heady like that like you know kind of show you like why people would come to that reasoning if it makes it feel a bit more grounded in a way yeah a hundred percent i i liked how they were doing like this very like serious monologue in between the the fights i thought they really both brought um kind of a a respect and like a, a realness and a, and a care to their their roles or where it could have just been like a very like cheesy fight scene yeah and during this fight scene you could kind of see that dracula almost like he's getting the upper hand like toward the end and blade is like really struggling but then like you get like a distraction like there's an explosion that happens and uh, Dracula's descendant Frank Drake, uh, along with Rachel Van Helsing, kind of pull Blade out of the rubble type thing, and so it's like now he, he, Blade has a team, and he's not so alone from here on out. Which was honestly like really nice 
I thought it was really cool because, you know, he's been alone for so long. Um, and, but not, not only to have like a team to help him, but a team that understands uh, him and has like a family legacy. Also, uh, I have to give a shout out that the, the uh, Van Helsing was played by Regina King uh, because I love Regina King. Uh, she killed it in Watchmen. Uh, so good. Yeah, the HBO Watchmen series is really good. Uh, this might be a controversial opinion, but it's honestly my favorite iteration of Watchmen. That, yeah, it's one of my favorite um, uh, superhero shows of all time. Regina King in Watchmen, incredible, incredible. Yeah, like she really brought gravitas to the role, like you alluded to, and. Like, I, I did he overhear some people in the theater being like, really, they're bringing, like, Dracula and Van Helsing type characters, <laughs> but I, I'm just sitting here being like, read the comics! No, I, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, they're kind of reluctant to let Blade keep on fighting Dracula right away, because they're like, we have to come up with a plan, and you get, like, these little conversations, like, before they get to, like, the final confrontation where they're talking about how to go about it and like what does it mean to be human type thing which i honestly thought was kind of cheesy but <laughs> um but like not as cheesy as when frank drake was like he got out his his briefcase and just got out a pack of lunchables and he's like what i'm hungry and yeah just you know they they gotta get that product placement somehow and disney's partnership with lunchables is all over tiktok these days so <laughs> yeah i mean honestly i ate lunchables so much during elementary school that i got tired of them and and maybe even a little bit during middle and high school i don't even remember but like it's been many years since I've actually had Lunchables just because I got so tired of them. That's fair. That's fair. It's, I don't think I've had any since elementary school. Mm. It's it's not like PB&Js, which, um, and, and Uncrustables, which are still amazing. They still hit. Right. Yeah, Crustables are definitely still good, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, so... You get like this team dynamic and uh, you get Frank lamenting like, oh, why am I related to the most horrible being on earth type thing? You know, you got that existential thing going on. Yeah, this movie was a lot deeper than I was expecting. I really thought it was just going to be like this popcorn movie. And there was, there was a lot more thought put into the script than honestly, some of the scripts recently from some of the recent phases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, they just end up, like, going for it. Like, they go to, they figure out where Dracula's castle is, and, you know, basically just go full-on, like, gothic horror, like, doing this whole fight in the castle. And Dracula has, like, some servants, like, of these wolves and, like, these people who are, like, under his trance. And uh, you got some nice blade action, especially with, like, the ebony blade type thing. and. Uh, Frank and Rachel like just fighting side by side and you can tell there's like the romance between them but they what'd you think of how their romance is handled in this Frank and, and Rachel's yeah um I thought it was it was good it was interesting um 
that it was the the two of them, but I think it's you know, Blade is a, uh, it's very much a a loner. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it wheel. was yeah, <laughs> perpetual perpetual third wheel. Um, I thought it it was like it was nice. It didn't take up too much of the time. Um, but it, it was like a nice reminder of like the humanity that that Blade has like kind of lost, and you could see him go oh. This is this is what I've given up to protect people. So I've given up my my ability to to reach out and and form these connections. Yeah, like he has to isolate himself because of like how dangerous it is to be around him. And he even like he even tells them like if they want to be safe, they have to like stay away from him and let him face Dracula alone. And they're like, no, we're in this with you type thing. And it gets really suspenseful because it's like i don't know if like frank and rachel are gonna make it out alive like what's gonna happen like obviously blade yeah. is gonna live because like you want to <laughs> really franchise the character you know but yeah everyone else is uh expendable uh also i gotta say i very much enjoyed the the fact that the the fight was you know at night rain thunderstorm lightning like i know people complain that it's it was like kind of like it was a lot of dark darkness it was like kind of hard to see but like this is like what i want in a vampire movie i want people fighting at night i want it to be dramatic i want just a whole like bridge situation a cobblestone bridge situation this is what i signed up for yeah like this whole fight was just sublime it was chef's kiss and you know just the ambiance of it but it, like it as it kept going it did take me out a little bit when like for half a minute they played bring me to life <laughs> when played and Dracula were like fighting in the rain and it's like they use that song in the ben affleck daredevil movie when, and i think it was even raining there like during electra's like whole training thing but yeah, like that that little snippet kind of brought me out a little bit. Yeah, oh my god, I had completely forgotten. I know I I just watched it recently, but I completely forgotten that that was in this movie. Oh, oh man, <laughs> oh man, I'm sure uh, Twitter's gonna have a, a field day with that one. I have to go go look it up. Yeah, <laughs> but um, of course, Blade eventually gets the upper hand and i forgot to mention that throughout the movie you get like some it, it sometimes cuts away to like the media reacting to like you know just regular people uh, in the streets or whatever talking about like the blade sightings and all these vampire sightings and you hear like some people like being like blade what you mean like bay blades you know like the <laughs> the toy thing <laughs> And so um, there's a moment where Blade drops his sword and then you, you think Dracula is going to like survive, but then uh, Rachel picks up the sword and she's like, hey, Beyblade! And she like throws it and he catches it and stabs Dracula and it's like, okay, that was kind of cool, if a bit cringeworthy. Yeah, uh, yeah we, have to, we have to have those Marvel one-liners. Yeah, it's like an, it's an unfortunate side effect of like being a Marvel movie. Like you have to have those little moments, but yeah, I guess I can't be too disgruntled. But I mean, they've at least given us like 
some really great fight sequences and gothic sequences in this so um yeah it was really cool when like dracula was defeated and was like falling off the edge of the castle and i just really love like that shot when he's falling and like you can see the moon like it's just like this beautiful full moon like in the so large as and it's like that's like kind of the focus of the shot and then him falling is like like a little unfocused and it's just it's it's a very cool shot yeah and you get you know the aftermath you know suddenly it stops rain kind of coincidental or i don't know if dragon was <laughs> controlling the rain or what but vampires uh, control the weather news at 11 yeah like suddenly sun is rising and it's uh you got rachel and frank standing on each side of blade and frank is like you know i could get used to this surviving these fights not dying and <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i thought it was like kind of a nice way to end it uh, was there anything you want to talk about before we talk about the credit scenes no um i thought all the performances were were pretty good for the most part except you could tell dev patrol dev patel was really struggling with that that morbius like he he did not want to be there yes <laughs> and, and you could even tell like during one of these credit scenes where you see Morbius just standing in some dark room and look at the camera and being like, it's Morbin time. And, you know, just basically teasing the second Morbius movie. <laughs> the fact that they actually went, they actually went for it. I mean, it gets people in theaters. It gets people in theaters. Yeah, there there were a couple other credit or post-credit scenes. So what do you think of what these other ones um, I thought it was a little weird to have Adam Warlock in one of the post credit scenes, but I do understand that this next phase is supposed to be, like, galactic or cosmic, so I know they had to, like, kind of tie into that, so it was cool. I don't know if you've played the, I can't remember who talked about the, the game, um, the Guardians of the Galaxy game. Oh, I completely forgot that that was a thing. Yeah. Wait, have you played it? No, I haven't. Okay, so actually, it the story is, like, one of the best, like, stories I've played recently. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really good story. Um, spoiler alert, Adam Warlock's in it. He's very good. It, like, he's, he's a really fun character. And the game made me care about Peter Quill, and I've never cared about Peter Quill. Um, I would... <laughs> really recommend it it's on i don't know if you have a playstation and ps plus but it's on ps plus extra definitely worth it plus for everything these days <laughs> but yeah like it, it was weird like blade and company were just like looking at the stars like wonder what else is up there and then you get like a zoom into space mm -hmm. it's just adam warlock <laughs> setting up guardians volume three yeah um, yeah and in one of these other credit scenes you uh, there's like a silhouette of bearded figure and they start whistling and uh, and i'm like oh shoot it's whistler I, I remember from like the older blade movies um so yeah i guess he's gonna Gosh. be a character in this well i can't i, I could not take that seriously because when i did obviously i didn't know who it was but of course i was thinking of the beard hunter from doom patrol <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, Doom Patrol's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I, I can't I am devastated that it's ending, but I also cannot believe it's lasted this many seasons. Yeah, I'm trying to be like glass half full type thing. Like at least it didn't get cancelled after its first season. Like I, I would have loved for it to last a couple more. The fact that we got four is just it's incredible. It's a miracle that that even happened, you know? A hundred percent a miracle. Like I, I was convinced that the HBO executives just kept forgetting it existed and kind of just like <laughs> rubber stamping, like, oh yeah, sure, fine. And it's like, this is the best show you have right now. And I will say that a hundred percent, but also I don't think you've watched the show. <laughs> yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's my favorite live action DC show. And yeah. and 100%. people and people are very uncool for not watching it. I know. It's, it's I just mean, a fact. <laughs> watch Doom Patrol. Watch Doom Patrol. Like if if you don't like the pilot, you, you probably won't like the show. But yeah, the first episode gives you a good idea of whether or not you'll like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm just gonna keep like every every time I come on, I'm just gonna keep bringing up Doom Patrol and uh Brendan Fraser. But if you if you're happy for the for Brendan Fraser having having his time now, we'll watch Doom Patrol. Yeah. I guess we can go into final thoughts and score out of 10 for this Blade movie. So, uh, Camille, what are your final thoughts, score out of 10, and unit of measurement for that score for Blade? Ooh. Um, so my final thoughts is that it was more serious than I expected. I was expecting more of a straightforward popcorn flick. Um, I, like I said, I really liked all the performances. Um, I did actually really like the, the, the more serious nature. Um, I thought the fact that it was PG-13 instead of R was fine. Like, didn't really need to be R, but I'm sure there are people that are mad about it. <laughs> um, not some, like we talked about, some of it kind of felt like mandated Marvel things. Like, oh, we gotta have the yeah. CGI fight now. Oh, we gotta have this product placement. We gotta have these tie-ins. And that kind of brought the movie down. But when it did get to kind of get out of the the marvel box and constraints it, it really brought something like fun and uh unique in that it, it kind of like harkened back to like like you said those old like universal monster movies but kind of a little more like grounded in the like what is the implications of of living like this so i think overall i'm going to round up and rate it an eight out of ten um sunglasses to wear at night <laughs> nice yeah I, I think i'm close to that score like around that ballpark um uh, this was very like like we said like some bits felt forced like when they threw in certain characters but it was also nice that there was room to still explore other things down the line. Like, there's still, like, the whole Deacon Frost thing, you know. They they didn't, like, try doing everything in one movie, even though there was that one scene tying into, like, the Spider-Man villains thing. But um, I think for the most part, this was pretty good. And Mahershala Ali really carried this movie. Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, like the older blade movies I, I would say the first one was my favorite of that trilogy and then the second one 
I enjoyed, but maybe not as much. And then the third one is just a piece of garbage. That's like everyone agrees on that. But yeah, I think I like this one maybe around as much as the first movie. It's kind of hard to Ooh. it's kind of hard to say which one I prefer because like what's great about the first movie is that it was isolated and so didn't have to worry about tying into these other things. Uh, whereas this one had tie-ins, but it still managed to capture the gravitas of like the character and the tone and the like horror gothic feel, which I really appreciated. So I think I'm giving this one an 8.25 out of 10 Lunchables. Like it would have, it would have been an 8.5 if it didn't have Morbius and that and Vulture and uh, Craven just mucking about in that one scene. But I can't um, believe this movie made me not happy to see Dev Patel. Like that's that's really saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think they still did really well with what they had. Like all things considered, and. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what more they do with this character and what more dark stories they can tell now that they've, they're sort of like moving past having like just all of them be all comedic all the time type thing, if this movie is any evidence of that. Yeah, because like we said, we're, we're reaching like a point of fatigue and we we can't have every Marvel movie be the exact same thing. And I think that they are starting to branch out a bit so uh it makes me it makes me helpful yeah so uh thanks for being on the show again camille um did you have anything you want to plug i saw that there's like an improv related thing you share yes and yeah thanks so much for for having me um so i i do have an improv uh thing so uh i am in a indie uh improv uh trope with uh some very talented very funny friends uh in january we performed at ucb so please follow us on instagram for any future possible shows um we are milady gaga on instagram and (laughs) in life um and i'm very excited to be back up on the stage because i love doing improv Nice. What was the story behind coming up with that name? <laughs> <laughs> we were we were just going back and forth, just trying to figure out because we had to put something down uh, for the the show, and so we we went through we went through a list, and uh, Lady Gaga was the one that won. Nice. Yeah, I, I'll put the link in the show notes, but yeah, it's Lady Gaga underscore Improv. So. It's basically the letter M and then Lady Gaga and then underscore improv on Instagram. Um, so yeah, I'm real excited to see where y'all go with that. So that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. I'm I'm excited to also see where we go. At the very least, just getting to do improv with friends again is really great because uh, we did improv in college together. Yeah. Yeah, improv is always fun. Like, I-, I wish I could do improv, like, every other week. Like, even if just online. I Like, I think that would be, like, really fun. But I don't always have the time, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes you have to give very serious movie reviews like this. Yeah. 
Uh, of course. <laughs> of movies we completely watched 100%. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And um, I'll put my plugs like in post-production, like when I edit this, uh, like I usually do. So you can email Delayed Replay via DelayedReplayPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on Uncrustables. Uh, you can also follow me at Steven Schinder on Instagram and Twitter, Steven Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. Go to stevenschinder.com for info on my book, Lemons Loom Like Rain. And keep an eye out for news on the next book, Trespassing Through the Visages. And you can also find me on Yes Shift, a podcast I do with my dad. It's also a vlog. We talk about Yes, and it's members past and present. We've even had some of them and some other musicians on the show. Follow me on Goodreads, Letterboxd. Uh, check out all the links in the show notes. And uh, the next episode will be on Morbius 2. It's Morbin time. Um, but yeah, I think that'll do it. And without further delay, have a good day. <laughs> <laughs>